Without further ado, go ahead and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We'll, uh, <clears throat> we'll get through quite a few bit, quite a bit today, I'm hoping. Um, if you remember, we've, I don't remember the last, when it was we started 1 Timothy. It's been a while. Um, it was so long ago, we were still over, actually it was right before the conference, we started 1 Timothy in June. So it's been a while. And uh, I, I did want to spend a lot of time on some of these things in the first part, just to make sure that we, we've got the proper foundation to move forward. Uh, but we've gotten up to, um, we've gotten up to verse 6, 7, and 8, right around in that area. So we're going to be able to cover pretty much, should be able to cover quite a bit of ground today, um, I'm thinking. <clears throat> but uh, remember, with with Timothy, 1 Timothy, we're dealing with the church and rule. And of course, that's one of the reasons why we've said we want to be able to, to put things in order here, is, and, and that would be that would be why. So 1 Timothy chapter 1, let's start off in verse 5, and we'll read down through verse 11. All right, so 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and a faith unfeigned, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons. And if there be anything that it, any, other th any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine... <coughs> <clears throat> according to the glorious gospel, the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Father, we thank you once again for the word that we have. And uh, as we uh, continue the study in Timothy, uh, may we allow your word to be the final authority in all things that we uh, should be to the praise and honor and glory of your grace. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> now, as we've gone through here, one of the things that we talked about uh, dealing with, with some of this information is the fact that what is it that Timothy's dealing with? Of course, he's giving, uh, he's giving Timothy a commandment, right? And he starts off there in verse 5. Now the end of the commandment is charity, right? So here's a commandment that Paul has given to Timothy saying, here's what I want you to do. And this commandment that he gives to Timothy is to what? To charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies. So there's these three things that Paul is saying, Timothy, I want you to go and charge some that they don't do this. And we've talked about the fact that that means that there were some there in Ephesus doing exactly that, right? <coughs> and we've talked about that. We went back to Acts chapter 20 and we saw that Paul says, I'm telling you, as soon as I leave, this is what's going to happen. And it's exactly what happened, right? It was the same sort of issue that we found out was going on in Galatia, right? And we talked about the fact that Paul says, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him. Right? And we talked about that information, and it was not just the fact that they moved, but how quickly they moved away and how easily they were persuaded. Now, one of the things that we get into <clears throat> with this is Paul then says, do what? Or what's, what's, the, what's, the, what's the result of those three things? Um, 
which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. The whole purpose here that Paul's laying out, the, what he's dealing with in, with Timothy is there's this issue of godly edifying. There's this issue of godliness. And we'll see this as we go through um, his epistles. That's, that's one of the main things that he's looking at, right? In verse 5, it says, Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. Of course, we talked about there were three issues that he saw in that, that local assembly. And Paul says, here's three things to replace those, right? We talked about that issue of that replacement issue, the put off and the put on. Now, the problem is, is if you put off something and you put on something that's almost the same, you've not done any better, right? So one of the trends, uh, one of the trends this year, I, I don't know if you all have heard about this, but um, the dry, dry January, right? That's, that's a thing this year. Uh, so people that are alcoholics, basically, they're like, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to take a, we're going to take a month. And we're not going to drink. I'm like, Okay. I hope you can do it. <clears throat> but it's one of those things like that. That's a goal. I mean, you think you think where we are in the world. And we're like of all the things that we could do. That's anyway. So that's that's a thing that people are doing now. That, that's part of their New Year's resolutions. What do we know about resolutions? They're usually broken before you make them. Right. So. <laughs> but when when we look at this. If you take something, what, are the, what is it that they're going to put in place of that? Because there's going to be a vice that they're going to have to put in place of that, right? That's what makes it easier. The whole issue with AA is, all right, so we're going to get you to quit drinking, but we're going to have you do something in its place. Now, what is it that you're going to put in its place? Well, you know, I've known guys who are like, I'm going to quit smoking, so I'm going to start vaping. I'm like, okay, it's you're literally doing the same thing. You might be doing more harm to yourself than you were before. <laughs> but like that, okay, anyway. But the point is, is you've got something you want to get rid of. You've got to have something to put in its place. You're going to put something in its place. And what Paul is saying here is instead of teaching, uh, instead of teaching other doctrine or giving heed to fables or endless genealogies, what do you do is you have charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and faith unfeigned. That's what you replace those things with. Verse six, he says, from which some having swerved. Now we talked about that issue of, of, of swerving just a little bit last time. <clears throat> What's it mean to swerve? Now Delilah hates when I do this. So I do this every once in a while. I did this yesterday and she was like, I'm going to leave Kroger. If you keep doing this, it was really not. <laughs> So you all, you all have seen cars that drift, right? So sometimes to make the shopping uh, experience a little bit better, I'll drift with my cart, and it makes this really loud noise, and she's like, you need to quit. Cause, but I'm like, it's so much fun. And we'd take a, we'd take a curve, and I'd drift around it. So, no, I don't, I, sometimes. But here's the thing. Have you been to Walmart or Kroger lately? you got to make it something, right? <laughs> But, but the issue there that I want us to think about is that issue of swerving is it's, an, it's a quick, instant change, right? The whole, the whole idea with, with that of drifting is you're swerving. That's that idea. And it's a quick thing. Like you're going straight, then all of a sudden you start doing this. It, it, that's that same issue that you saw over in Galatia, how soon you're moved. And I marvel how soon you're removed from him. 
that that issue that's that swerve that's that swerve issue like it just happens right it's a quick turn i'm going to stop doing what i was doing i'm going to go do something else well what is it that they've done is you know we we talked about we talked about before when in the garden what did what did eve do when she left out that word freely is she took out grace and she replaced it with law, right? We talked about that. That's a sharp turn. That's that issue that we see there. That's the same thing that we see over in Galatia. It's the same thing we see here in Ephesus is they're here and then they just all of a sudden go to this. And it's, what do, what do we know about those two systems? Law and grace are opposites of each other, right? This is, it's done, that's it, it's due, right? So those are those main issues. But notice, I don't, it's not just the issue that they swerved and they've changed, but it's this issue in verse seven, desiring to be teachers of the law. They, they look at this and they thought that's godliness. That's holiness. That's what we want to do. And they, they, it's not just that they changed in, in their thought process and all that stuff, but they desired to be teachers of the law. Notice, and this is, this is the thing that always kind of just <clears throat> kind of drives me crazy. Understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and they say, well, the Bible says, and then they quote something and it's never been in scripture ever. That's what I think of when I, when I, when I read that verse, that's what I think of is somebody, they, they, their desire is so much. I want to do this. I want a law. I want to keep it. I want to prove that I'm something and they don't even know what they're doing. Now, doesn't that kind of remind us of the religious folks in Christ's day? They're going around and they've got their law, but they've also got their traditions that they've added to the law. And they're doing things saying it was part of the law and it never was. And this issue, not only the fact that they've swerved, but also this issue that they're desire to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor, uh, nor whereof they affirm. They don't know what they're talking about. And they don't even know where they got it from. And I've had conversations with people. Doesn't it say in the Bible somewhere? And it's, in fact, that's one of those things that I've thought about for a conference is the Bible doesn't say that, right? You know, you just look at all the phrases that people use and it says the Bible never says that. Uh, so that was one of those things that I've kind of tossed around before, but I don't really want to go with that route. But notice, verse 8. But we, what's that next word? No, there's information that Paul and Timothy, especially, and those folks, and honestly, you think about this, the folks in Ephesus knew this as well, right? But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Now, here's how you go about doing that. Um, verse, verse 9, 
knowing this, and of course, that's what he's connecting up here, right? Knowing this, the law is not made for a righteous man. So, question, are we saved by the law? No. Do we prove that we're saved by keeping the law? Do we show people that we are saved by keeping the law? So then, what's the purpose of the law? Notice what he says here, knowing this. This is something that we should be... In fact, every person in Christianity should know this verse, right? Because they all have access to it. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man. And we'll, we'll get to some of these things. But notice this. But for the who? Laws and disobedient, right? So let's go take a look at some of these real quick. Go to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, we'll start here in verse 9. Romans chapter 3, verse 9. Um, and of course, we know and understand what's going on here. The first chapter of Romans, Paul lays out and says, Gentiles, God has set them aside. You go back to Tower of Babel, that's where God does that. And then in chapter 12, he calls out Abram, and he starts doing something with a particular person and a seed, and he starts doing something. He creates a group of people. Well, the problem is those group of people also fall short. So chapter 2 deals with the religious people who think that they're doing something and being able to grant, to gain something from God. And then the last part of chapter uh, 2, he starts dealing with uh, the, the, the Judy, the Jew, the, really he's dealing with uh, the circumcision there, the, the folks of the, the nation of Israel. And then in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, What advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? Verse 2, much every way, chiefly because unto them were committed the oracles of God. Why, what was the advantage to being a Jew prior to the dispensation of the grace of God is you had access to God's word. All right? We talked about, you go over to Ephesians chapter 2, and he talks about that in time past you were Gentiles, you were without Christ, without God, with you know strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and, and all that. There's all this stuff that they had, but also... The Jews had God's word. He spoke to them and through them and wrote it down and all that. So they had something. But the problem is, is what happens in verse 9. What then are we better than they? No and no wise, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are what? All understand. So one of the issues that you have dispensationally is what happens is God says, whether you're a Gentile in chapter 1, whether you're a religious person in chapter 2, or you're a Judaizer in chapter 3, what I've done with every one of you is done what? You're all under sin. So then, how is a God going to be able to deal with people? He's going to deal with everybody the exact same way. Why? Because everybody is the exact same way now. He's done away with that issue that he set aside the Gentiles in chapter 11 of Genesis and started dealing with the nation of Israel. Well, Abram to begin with later on the nation of Israel he starts dealing with them separately so much so that they had the oracles of God now you get to the point where God says you're all under sin as it is written there is none righteous no not one there is none that understandeth there is none that seeketh after God 
they are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not, have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now you stop there real quick. <clears throat> There and they, from verse 10 to verse 18, who's the there and the they? Everybody. So here's, here's what I want us to think about. Everybody's under what? Sin. It's the verse, what the verse says, right? Hold your place there. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Our very first conference was about our personal past, our personal present, and our personal ages to come. And we went through Ephesians chapter 2, the first, first 10 verses. Here is your personal past, verse 1. Now, verse 11, he gets into the dispensational time past and all that. <coughs> but notice verse 1. And you hath he quickened, who, what's that next word? Were dead, right? So what happens is, what's the, what's the penalty of sin is death, right? Now, what this verse says is what? And you hath he quickened. So what happens is, you hear at some point about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and you believe that that was full, satisfying payment for your sin, and that he rose again the third day, um, you now have eternal life. You have justification. You have all these things. And what happens is you are now quickened. Well, what's that word quickened mean? Made alive, right? The fact that, you're, the, the fact that you have been given life. You know, we've talked about the issue of your, your spirit is dead your soul is darkened and your body was depraved that's who you were from the time that you were born until the time you heard the gospel and trusted it that's where you were if you didn't trust the gospel that guess what you're still in that position if you have trusted in what christ has done from that at that point something happened and you're quickened you're made alive you're given life and it wasn't anything that took a long period of time. It happened how? Quickly. Notice, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. So back here, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, right? That's who you were. <clears throat> Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. How did you live your life? Based off of that right there. You made decisions in your life based on your trespasses and your sins. You made decisions in your life. You lived that way every single day, never thinking about how bad your life really was. Never had a thought in our mind. But what happened? <clears throat> you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. You were 
you had the spirit of disobedience in you, you were living that way and you didn't even know it. And you wouldn't have known it had you never read Ephesians chapter 2. Because the spirit, it says right there, the spirit, of, of, uh, the spirit that now what? Worketh in the children of disobedience. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the what? Lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Back here you had what? Darkness. How did you live your life? Based on that knowledge. Based on that information. That's how we walked. That's how we lived. That's how we acted. That's how we, we fulfilled the lust of the flesh based on that. We fulfilled the desires of the flesh based on that. And the mind, we fulfilled the desires of the mind based on that. Verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins. Where's that? Here. He's done what? Quickened us. Hath quickened us together. Notice that. With Christ. There is a connection to our identification in Christ, so much so that when he was raised from the dead, Romans 6 says, we're raised also. We, we've said, Romans 6 tells us what? His death is now your death. His burial is now your burial. His resurrection is now your resurrection. That's the identification that we have. So much so that he says that we are quickened together with Christ by grace you are saved and hath raised us up. Notice again, hath, past tense, raised, past tense, us up together. And I love this next part, made us sit together in heavenly places. Where? In Christ. So what God does is he takes this person who is in trespasses and sins and in darkness and in sin and doing all the things that they want to do and all that stuff. And he says, I'm going to go to a cross and I'm going to die and I'm going to be buried. and I'm going to raise again and I'm going to give my life to whoever believes and trusts in that and takes us out of that. And now what do we have? Do we have trespasses and sins now? As far as we're in him, no. But do we sin? Yeah. Do we have to worry about him? No, because he's already taken care of it for us and said, I've already forgiven you. Live that way. The moment that we move from here to here, God says at that moment, Colossians chapter 2. You know, when, when we think about these things, <clears throat> what, what we have to remember, of course, we keep this in context, what we're dealing with in, in, in Timothy. But in Colossians chapter 2, you know, I, I love... I love these verses. Uh, verse 9. I'm going to start in verse 9 because I think verse 9 gives is, is what gives the power, if you will, to verse 10. Colossians 2, 9. For in him, and the him there is Christ, 
dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Verse 10, and ye, this person here, and we'll see that in a second, and ye are what? Complete in who? The one that dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's where your completeness is. You, that right there, if that doesn't make a grace person become Pentecostal and say, praise the Lord, I don't know what will. Because that is good stuff. To know that the one in whom dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily, he's the one that you're complete in. That's the power. And it's from that position we're able to do what we're, we're doing. Notice, not only is he the in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, but what? Which is the head of all principality and power. <laughs> he's the head of the government. Both in heaven and on earth. Verse 11, notice, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. That's that issue. We talked about this before. You know, we've, we've probably seen all these before. But there's an issue. Paul talks about your spirit, soul, and body. And what happens the moment that you trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, remember, this is dead, this is dark, this is depraved. The moment that you trust in Jesus Christ, there is a circumcision that comes along and it cuts off that right there from the rest of your who you are and says, this is now separate from these. That, that's that circumcision that he's talking about there where God actually takes and he cuts off that body and says you're now alive you now have light and now your body can actually be used to go and produce something that you couldn't have produced before that's this circumcision right here when does that take place the moment you trust in that right where he and it's a spiritual circumcision not not made with hands, as he says, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Again, where does that take place? Moment you trust. Verse 12, buried with him in baptism. You know what's interesting is how that baptism and that circumcision go together. The spirit does them both. Notice, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him. How? Through the faith of the operation of God. Who's the one performing that operation? It's God. He's the one that does it. Do you feel it? Do you feel like your soul and your spirit separated from your body? No, because you're sitting here listening, right? You talk to each other and drink coffee and donuts and snacks, whatever it is, right? So you're not, huh? But you believe it. And that's the key, right? 
So when we look at this, he says, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. All that stuff's Romans 6. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, what? Hath he, what? Quickened together. When did he quicken you? Right there when you believed. It's just, hath he quickened together with him? Well, that's that same issue of he gave him life and his, his life is now our life. That's that issue of hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. When you look at that stuff, those right there, gone. That right there, gone. We believe the verses. God does all the work. And he gets the glory for it. To me, that, that's, that's a beautiful thing. Back here in Ephesians chapter 2. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. Verse 5 says, He's quickened us together with Christ and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's your position. And we've talked about this before. There's, there's a difference between position and I just lost it. Practice. There's positional truths. You are complete in Him. There's practical truths. Do you live like you're complete in Him? Do you walk like you're complete in Him? Right? You're seated with Him. Do you live like you're seated with Him? That's that's that issue we got to think about, right? So notice, <clears throat> why? Why do all this, Paul? Verse 7, that, here's the purpose, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. You stop and you think about that stuff, and you're just like, can it, can it get any better? And, of course, the answer is No. Should we know a little bit about that? Yeah, go to Colossians chapter 1. <clears throat> I know we're kind of off track here, but we'll get back to it because this is, this is why it's so important for us to be able to see these things. My question is, and it happens all the time, so there's, there's, there's people that do, but why would you want to leave this message? Why? Why would you desire to be a teacher of the law if you knew these things? Notice here in Colossians chapter 1. By the way, would they have known about Ephesians chapter 2? The folks in Ephesus. They would have. 
would they have known what we just read about in Colossians? They would have. Yeah. No, no. That's that's the that's the wonderful part is a person that starts here and goes to that still has all this stuff. But they don't live like it. And what's in it what's really interesting is you've got saved people that have never known this that have that same stuff. And they'll never know it until they get in the book. Colossians chapter 1, verse 25. Start here in verse 25. Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but but now is made manifest to his saints. Verse 27, this right here, verse 27 is another one of those verses you just like, you would have never thought about this. Verse 27, to whom the saints, God would make known the whole purpose of the mystery that was hid from ages, that's made manifest to his saints, to whom God would, would make known what is the, riches of the glory of this mystery now i want you to stop and think about this real quick there is a mystery something that god kept secret that mystery has glory attached to it that glory has riches attached to them so when he says that he's making known or make make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. The, you know, we, we, we focus a lot of times about mystery, 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 mystery. But we often forget sometimes that there is a glory attached to that mystery. And we also sometimes forget that there are riches that are attached to that glory that's attached to the mystery. And getting those things, and all it comes down to what is Christ in you. That's the riches of the glory of this mystery. Is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's, he starts here and says, because you trust in my son, I'm going to make you alive, give you light, and I'm going to make your body to where you can actually produce something. And I'm going to produce it through you, by the way. And I'm going to quicken you and I'm going to do all this stuff to one day I'm going to glorify the sun. And you get to be a part of that. That just, To me, that just, again, if that doesn't make you shout, it's just like. But that's what's going on today. When you're back over in Romans 3, back over there, remember these folks knew this and they said yeah but i want to desire i desire to do this still goes on today people are doing that every single day notice paul says we know what the use what the lawful use of the law is we know how to use it we know what it's for he wrote it verse 19 
Romans 3.19. Now we know that what, thing, what, what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law. Question, are you under the law? We're not under the law, but we're under grace. We know that. So then is the law for a righteous man? No. First Timothy tells us it's not for a righteous man, but for those others. And we'll get to that. But notice. Why? That every mouth may be stopped. You know, you, you think about this. <clears throat> I get to go to heaven because I've done. Law says don't talk. You ever thought about that? That the mouths may be stopped. Yeah, but I'm, shh. that's what the law is doing. Because the law says, you can't fulfill me. You got this one, but you missed 300 other ones, right? That, the, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Notice, Here's the purpose of the law, for the law is the knowledge of sin. The law isn't to get us saved. The law isn't used to keep us saved. The law is not used to prove that we're saved. What the law says is you're lost. You're here. That's what the law does. You know, you, you keep on going. Verse Chapter 3, verse 23 there. We talked about this. We've gone through this a lot. Verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Well, what's the, what, is, what is his glory? Here's the law. Here's, here's perfect. Go be perfect. And you can't do it. The point of it is, is to, to do what? To point out that you can't do it. Notice this. Go over to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8 are those, are those three chapters in the book of Romans that says, here's your identification. <clears throat> Romans 6 says, you're dead to sin. <clears throat> sin no longer has control over you. You can allow it to, and oftentimes we do. But Romans 6 says what? You have a way to deal with it. He says... Verse 12, Romans 6, 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies. That word let is don't allow it. Let not is don't allow, which means what? You have a choice. Here you didn't. You were doing all that stuff because that's what you did. Now you have something completely different. Now chapter 7 is what? Not only are you dead to sin, Romans 7 says you're dead to the law. And what Paul does here <clears throat> is he lays out this issue and he gives you this example of a man and woman. Um, notice, notice this here. Verse 1. Know ye not, brethren, for I, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. Have you ever heard of a guy or a, or a gal that... that uh, was placed into prison after they died. That's the, that's the issue here. The law has dominion over you as long as you live. Right? The law the law's not going to come and dig up a corpse and put them in prison. Right? Because it no longer has control over them. 
has no longer has dominion over them. Verse 2, for the woman uh, which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. <coughs> but if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. So then, he's given us an example. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, so he's given us an example. Here's the purpose of it, or here's why I'm bringing this up. My brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ. Were you dead to the law here? No. The moment you get saved, you're no longer under that law. You're dead to the law. That's why he's bringing up this issue of having dominion over the man as, as long as he liveth. That's why he's bringing this up. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. Now, <clears throat> drop down to verse 7. Notice. For what shall we say then? Is the law sin? It's a good question, right? What's God's answer? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. Isn't that what we just read over in Romans 3? By the knowledge of the law is sin. You don't know it's sin until you read the law and says, that's sin. So if you're lost and you don't know that that's who you are, you're here. And until somebody comes along and says, hey, have you ever looked at this? What does the law do? Tells them you're a sinner. You've missed the mark. Here's the mark and you've missed it. But we're not, we're not under that. Notice, <clears throat> for I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. But sin taking the occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, for without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Now, I want you to think about what's going on here is what? Here you've got a saved person. <clears throat> here you've got a saved person that's quickened that tries to go back under the law. And that's, what, that's why when we read Romans chapter 7, especially these verses here, he's talking about a saved person that goes back to the law. He's not talking about an unsaved person. He's talking about a saved person going back to the law. And what, what takes place there is what's the law going to produce with a saved person? You know how everybody says the most convoluted verses in scripture is Romans chapter seven, verses 15 and on. That's what it can. That's what it produces. Notice verse 15 <clears throat> for that, which I do, I allow not for what would I, for what would I, for what, for what I would that do I not, but what I hate that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that doeth it, do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. 
For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. And he goes on down through there. That issue of, I don't want to do it, but I do it. I want to do this and I'm not doing that. Why am I doing that? And the reason why is because... <clears throat> Here's the issue. Verse 11, for sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me and by it slew me. Now, what happens is a saved person, what he's saying is he looks at the law and says, what? Sin. What's sin going to do with that law? It's going to tell me you're not saved what it's going to do that's why people struggle with the issue of, of salvation with that because they'll go and they'll, they'll try to live by the law this is a saved person trying to live by the law is what paul's dealing with here notice it says for sin taking occasion by the commandment did what deceived me and by it slew me so sin does what sin says hey Let's go do that. Deceives you thinking, well, I can go do that and I'll be better off. But what's it actually do? By that commandment, it slays you. Now, what, what sin does is deceives us by making us think that we're doing good by keeping the commandment. And it's deceiving us to think that we can do something. And what God says is that law's not for you. You're dead to it. That's why Paul starts off in Romans chapter 7, you're free from the law. You're dead to it. It no longer has dominion over you. So then why would somebody here want to go to that is because sin deceived them, making them think you can go and do this. As Brother Jordan always says, what's that middle letter? of the word sin, that's why you do it. I can go and do this. And what's it do? It produces in you what he says in verse 9. For I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. That issue of being functionally dead. You remember in, in Timothy where Paul talks about those that oppose themselves. That's that. Sin says, you can go do it. And I say, I can go do it. And Paul says, I can go do it. And what's he do? I don't do it. And what's that do? Makes me think that I've, I've fallen and come short again, even though I'm already saved. And that, that whole thing in chapter 7, verse 15 through the rest of it, where he's dealing with that, the whole issue there is he's dealing with the problem of trying to fulfill a law as a saved person. And it creates this issue of what? Confusion. That's why people are so confused on 15 and on. Notice, wherefore the law, verse 12, wherefore the law is holy. Is there anything wrong with the, whole, with the law? No. And the commandment holy and just and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? Answer, God forbid. 
but sin, that it might appear sin working death in me by that which is good, the sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. What it's doing is sin says, we can go do this. So then when people back over in Ephesus move from this, and by the way, people today, when they move from grace to law, the reason they do that is sin says you can go do it. You know the good thing about that sin as a saved person? It's gone. You know what you do as a saved person? You say, that's something that's wrong in my life. Romans chapter 7 tells me that it is. I'm going to start believing what he says in Romans chapter 7 about that law, and I'm going to move back to grace, and then I'm going to get rid of all that stuff over here. One of the, da- one of the, one of the most dangerous things is to put a saved person under the law. And churches do it every single Sunday. Now, we didn't get into all the stuff. Go back to go back to 1 Timothy and we'll finish up this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 1. <clears throat> Verse 8. In the context here, Paul's not saying that these guys are desiring to be to use the law lawfully, right? Because he says in verse verse 8, but we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, which tells us that those some that are teaching other doctrine are doing what? They're using it law unlawfully. Verse 9, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man. Why? Because it'll produce death functional death you're not going to function the way you're supposed to because you're opposing who you are your practice doesn't match your position you're complete you're sinless there act that way that's what he's dealing with how are you going to do that well through the word the word is going to do that but notice the issue there that he brings up is the law is not to perform to get saved it's not perform to stay saved it's not to perform, to prove you're saved, is to let the sinner know that they are lost, that they are sinful, that they are sinners. And then we've got a list of some things, verses 9 and 10 there. And what what I always think is very interesting is the very end there, he says, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. Now, you go through that list, there's a lot of bad stuff in that list, and he ends off with what? Anything contrary to sound doctrine is also it's in the same vein. And then he tells us what is sound doctrine. Verse 11, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And we'll pick up there next week. That's what that sound doctrine is is the gospel of the blessed god which was committed to paul's trust and we'll talk about that next week